Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker Pastor Claude Davis teaches from John chapter 7 in the series Portraits. Jesus, who are you? You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Kahana mobile app. So this is John chapter 7, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon who's seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marvel at it. Moses and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I've not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? 
The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word you know, as, uh, as we've tried to communicate every week, our focus during this 12-week study of John is we've titled this sermon series Portraits, and we're looking at, at different uh, identity statements about Christ. We're asking the question, Jesus, who are you? That's the question we want to answer. And who is Jesus? Well, that's the question of the ages, isn't it? Every human being since Adam till the last child born, is going to have to answer that question. All of us in this room are going to have to answer that question, who is Jesus? And you need to know who Jesus is now. Because if you don't know who Jesus is now, when you stand before God, I guarantee you, you won't have the right answer to that question, who is Jesus? You know, today, I'm going to try to add three more answers to that question for you. And everything we're going to talk about today, I guarantee you, you already know. But you know, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is on a continual basis. Because it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to get caught up in the circumstances of life and the circumstances of our world and the trouble that we're in. It's easy to get caught up in all that and forget who Jesus really is. So we want to answer that question this morning. And last week, since we jumped into, since we jumped from chapter six to chapter eleven, and now we're going back to seven, I want to uh, help us remember where we left off in John six two weeks ago. And if you remember, John had multiplied, or Jesus had multiplied 
five loaves and two fish, and he had fed 5,000, probably close to 15,000 or more people. And not only did he take air molecules and turn them into fish and bread and feed 15,000 people, but then he had 12 baskets of food left over when he was complete. And so we saw that in John 6. And then that same evening after the great feast was over and everybody was full, the disciples, you remember, they got into a boat and they were going to go across that eight-mile-wide Sea of Galilee, about 150 feet deep. This wasn't a little pond. It wasn't a little stream. This was a pretty good-sized body of water. And they were trying as hard as they could to get across the lake, and a storm blew up and kind of held them right there in the middle. And they see Jesus walking on the water to them. And if that didn't scare them out of their sandals, nothing would, right? Here's Jesus walking on the water to them. And so Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately they're transported to the other side, like Star Trek. And whoosh, there you are. And so at, at Whitehall last week, we asked the question, who but God could do that? And the answer is nobody. Nobody could take air and turn it into fish and bread. Nobody could turn H2O molecules into solid mass without freezing it and walk on it for four miles and hop in a boat and transport them to the other side. Nobody but God could do that. Amen? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. That's the most important question we need to answer today. Jesus is God. You know, the next the large crowd wakes up and they're looking for Jesus because they're hungry, right? They want some breakfast. And so once they find him, they want to make him their king because, you know, hey, fish sandwiches for everybody, right? A fish, a fish uh, sandwich on every plate. That's what they were interested in. And Jesus knew that the people were more interested in what he could give them than who he was. And so he puts it back on them. And he says, here's the deal. You guys are hungry and you want something to eat? Well, eat my flesh and drink my blood. I'm the only food that you really need. And at that moment, all but his closest disciples walked away. I mean, you know, of course. Ew. I mean, seriously. Ew. You want us to eat your flesh and drink your blood? Are you kidding me? Well, they missed his whole point, didn't they? They missed the whole point of what he was saying. You know why? Because they didn't believe in him. They didn't believe that he was God. They had no real answers to the question, Jesus, who are you? So let me ask you this morning. Is Jesus God? Is he? Yes. Is Jesus life? Yes. You better believe he is. He sure is. He's both of those things and a lot more. And Jesus, John said in, in chapter 20 that that's why he wrote the book. He wanted to make sure that we understood why he wrote the book. And he said, I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. And I want you to believe that so that when you believe that, you will have life in His name. 
Jesus is God. Jesus is life. And so, when the crowd left him, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked, are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter stands up and says, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe that you are the one sent from God. What did Peter just say? Peter said, Jesus, you are God and you are life. Is Jesus God? Seriously, is Jesus God? Come on, join with me here. Is Jesus life? You better believe he is. You better believe he is. So we come to chapter 7. And now uh, chapter 7, it's roughly six or seven months before Jesus is going to be crucified. And Jesus is still up in Galilee because down in Judea around Jerusalem, there's danger of arrest and execution. That, that whole idea is heating up. And so Jesus stays away from Jerusalem. And John points out that it's the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, or in, in your translations it might say Feast of Booths. Not, I have trouble saying that word, sorry. It doesn't, it's not booze, it's booths. And there's a uh, very important reason John included that detail. And, you know, we're going to look at that in just a bit. But for now, let's understand what tabernacles, what this celebration is all about. You know, through Moses, God had given to Israel when they were around Mount Sinai and then in the wilderness wanderings through, you'll read this in, in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, that um, God had given to Israel seven holidays or seven feasts or seven specific times of celebration. Three were observed in the spring, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. One was observed in the summertime, Pentecost. And three were observed in the fall season that were trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. And for Israel, all of these holidays were focused on various aspects of God delivering them from, from Egypt, God protecting them in the wilderness commemorating God's salvation for the nation. Uh, these feasts celebrated and, and dealt with sin and their relationship to God, and they were connected to the planting and the harvesting seasons. There was a lot of reasons that God had them celebrate these times, but specifically they were special observances designed to focus their hearts on God. God said, I want, I want to commemorate throughout the year seven specific times that I want you to come together and remember me. And so now we're looking back in history through the lens of Scripture, and we know that all of these holidays are merely signposts. They point to and explain the overall purpose of God, and their ultimate purpose and fulfillment is in Jesus. And one way or another, the entire Bible is about Jesus. This is his story. And so they all point to him. And through his death and his burial and his resurrection and through the creation of the church, Jesus explained and fulfilled the first four of those feasts. And we're still waiting for the fulfillment, the future fulfillment of those last three feasts. So Tabernacles is an eight-day feast that's held in late September or October in our time frame. 
And so in chapter 7, we see that even though Jesus is disciples to some level, they know who he is and they believe in him. The same isn't true for his family. You know, as chapter 7 opens up, we hear Jesus' brothers say, uh, technically his half-brothers, say, hey, Jesus, are you going to celebrate tabernacles with us? You go into town and, and head to celebrate tabernacles when we go. And Jesus tells them he's not going. But then later, he, after they've left, he goes. So let me ask you, did Jesus lie to his brothers? Did he tell them a lie? Well, not at all. No, he didn't say that he wasn't going. He said it wasn't time for him to go. And John says in verse 4 that his brothers didn't believe in him. So part of the reason he didn't go was because he didn't want to go with his brothers. But he had a much more strategic reason to not go, and we'll see that here in a minute. Jesus was their older brother, and these guys really didn't believe in him. You know, they grew up in the same house with him. You know, to, to them, Jesus was just that pain in the neck that mom held over their heads, right? You know, I mean, how would it have been to be Jesus' brothers? I mean, think about it. James, stop running through the house. Jesus doesn't run through the house. Thomas, take your dreidel outside and play. Why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? Benjamin, what would Jesus do? <laughs> right? There was a familiarity about him and a connection to him that they just didn't really believe. They didn't believe he was God in the flesh. They just believed he was just that crazy older brother that lived in their house. So... The brothers say, hey, Jesus, you want to be so important? You want to get everybody to follow you? You want to, everybody to hear your message and all that? Well, you need to come down to Jerusalem with us. You need to put on the show. I mean, you can't gather a following up here in this backwoods of Galilee. You know, you got to come to the big city, son, where the action is. Get everybody's attention. Be somebody. Well, their words were insincere. And so Jesus tells them, my time is not yet. He had no need for, notor for the notoriety that his brothers were taunting him with. He says, it's not time for me to finish the plan. In his words, we find out the first answer to our question this morning that I want you to see. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one in charge. You can write that down on your blanks there. Jesus is the one in charge. You know, here Jesus didn't say he, was going to, he wasn't going to Jerusalem. He said, it's not time for me to go right now today with you guys. He wasn't about to go with these clowns and have to deal with their insults. Jesus planned to go to Jerusalem. He had to because even though it was dangerous for him, he wouldn't break one of God's commands. Because Deuteronomy 16, 16 uh, the law commanded that at three times per year, all males in Israel would present themselves to the Lord during the holiday of unleavened bread, during Pentecost, and during tabernacles. So by command of God, Jesus had to go down to Jerusalem. It wasn't, it was tabernacles. He had to be there. But he's in charge of his own destiny, right? And so rather than going with the noise that his brothers would make, he'd go in secret. Because he's not ready to be arrested. 
And he's not going to let the leaders arrest him until the proper time. Jesus is the one in charge. He's the one who's determining when it's time to first plan to die on the cross and raise from the dead is to be accomplished. Jesus was in total control of what he was doing. When he was doing it, how it was going to be done, there was no question. He was in charge, not his brothers, not the leaders of Israel, not the hungry for fish sandwich crowd, not Satan himself was going to, you know, you remember Satan even offered him kingdoms earlier on. No one was going to change his plan. The plan that the Father had predetermined before the foundation of the world. And so last week we saw evidence of Jesus being the one in charge. And when he raised Lazarus from the dead, you remember Martha and Mary had called for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. And Jesus came, did he just immediately run to the problem? No, he waited two days. He waited to fulfill his plan, right? Jesus was the one. Now, now the way he fulfilled the plan, he kicked death right in the teeth. But he didn't fulfill the plan the way Martha and Mary wanted him to. So who is Jesus? He's in charge. I mean, look around this world. It feels like in this world that all the wheels are coming off. Things are falling apart. Do you, do you get that sense sometimes when you, when you watch the news that just this world is crazy? It's just spinning out of control? Maybe there's circumstances in your life that you feel like your world is falling apart. Maybe you've got some tough situations or tough decisions to make or relationships that are struggling. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, Jesus is in charge. He's got a plan for this world. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for my life. I don't know what it is, but this one thing I do know, I know who Jesus is. And I know that Jesus is God. And I know that Jesus is life. And I know that Jesus loves me more than I can even understand. And I know Jesus is in charge. So you know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to trust His plan. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to do what I know to do. And then I'm going to leave the results in His capable hands. How about you? Who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is in charge. So now Jesus goes down to Jerusalem, and there's lots of rumor and talk about him. And some said he was a good man. Some said he was leading everyone astray. And you know, if they had just let Jesus be Jesus, if they hadn't tried to put him in their own little box, if they hadn't simply considered, if they had considered honestly who he was by what he was saying and how he was behaving and the actions he was taking, there'd have been no question in their minds who Jesus is. All of these people could have accepted him, but rather than take him at his word, backed up by his life and by his power, they're debating over who he is. You know, people don't believe in Jesus because they really don't want to believe in him. In 32 AD, Jesus was misunderstood, and in 2016 AD, Jesus is misunderstood. Jesus told Nicodemus that men's deeds are evil, and because of that, they love darkness rather than light. Well, Jesus is the one in charge. And so we see in verse 14 that Jesus came to the feast when he was ready. Four days into the holiday of 
tabernacles, Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and he begins to teach. And so here's our second answer to the question. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the teacher. Jesus is the teacher. And as he begins to teach the Jews, meaning those leaders of Israel, primarily the Pharisees, they, they can't figure him out. And John quotes them saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? I mean, come on, he hasn't attended our uh, yeshiva schools. He hasn't gone through our program. How, how is it he's able to teach this stuff? Because, you know, Jesus wasn't just teaching the words. He was teaching the heart and the purpose and the meaning. So how could Jesus teach the word so effectively with such clarity? You know why? He wrote it right? He wrote it. In fact, John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. So he wasn't teaching, you know, these Pharisees with all their rhetoric and all of their study and all of their rules and all their regulations, they were just teaching the words. But Jesus was teaching the heart and the meaning of the words. He is the Word made flesh. There's something different about him. And you know, the leaders sent their guards to, to go arrest Jesus and bring him back because they wanted to trump up some charges so that they could do away with him. And the guards go to arrest him and they come back with nothing. And these guys say, where, where is he? Why didn't you bring him back here? And they said, never a man spake like this man. There's something different about what he says. And, and why didn't you bring him back? You don't know. This guy's different. Jesus is the teacher. In verse 16, Jesus speaks clearly about his origin and his identity. He says, I'm not teaching on my own. I'm telling you what God is telling me. I came from God. I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm here to glorify the Father. And he tells those leaders, you teach the law, but you don't keep it. So what good is your teaching? You know, the Pharisees were upset with Jesus because he had healed a man on the Sabbath day and called God his father. And they were so upset with him that they began in earnest to persecute Jesus and plotted how to kill him. In verse 21, Jesus said, you circumcise on the Sabbath to keep the law. You keep the law by breaking the law, but now you want to kill me for doing the same thing. Come on, guys. Never a man spake like this man. Jesus is the teacher, Amen. Have you been taught by Jesus? If you're a follower of Jesus, if, you're, if you've been born again and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, ever guiding you, ever teaching you, ever loving you, you know He'll reveal Himself to you in His Word and through the circumstances of your life if you're, if you're looking for Him, if you're listening to Him. You know, God says in His Word that if you seek Me with your whole heart, you will find Me. He's wanting to be found. You know, Jesus, you, 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 ever, you ever have times where you, where you read the Bible and maybe you've read a passage that you've read before and, and suddenly some point, some idea, some thought just jumps off the page and hits you right in your head and right in your heart? Has that ever happened to you? Well, that's Jesus through the Holy Spirit teaching you His Word. And we take that for granted, don't we? I mean, here's God, the creator of the universe, who said, let there be light, and boom, there was just light. He's the one that holds this universe together. Every molecule in this world is held together by his power. And he personally wants to spend time with you 
and teach you His Word and His heart. Don't take that for granted. Do you ever just soak in His Word? If you don't, let me ask you, why not? Why wouldn't you want to just be with Him? I can tell you the best part of my day, hands down, bar none, is when I'm with Jesus in His Word, spending time with Him. This book is a living, active book. And Jesus is the one who's the teacher. So who is Jesus this morning? Jesus is the one in charge, and Jesus is the teacher. And now we come in, in, in verse 37. There's a very significant moment that not only supports the, those, those first two answers to our question, but, but I think gives us another answer to the question. And I'll just give you the answer right now. Jesus is the one we're all looking for. And for you to understand what I'm saying, we need to set up this scene. In verse 37, on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, this is a very strategic act, a very strategic moment. And let's not miss the, the sign and the significance of, of this very point. You know, this, this is really kind of the high point of this chapter, this moment. Jesus is the one in charge, right? He's the one deciding when and where and how he'll communicate his message. And he's the teacher, so he knows how to communicate the message in a way that it's going to really have impact. And John points out that the last day of this eight-day celebration, Jesus stands up in a very visible way and makes a declaration. Just at the right moment, Jesus makes his move. Jesus acts here, and we, and we see him in charge. We see him as the Word of God, as the teacher. This is a life-changing moment. That's why Jesus stayed behind. and He didn't come to Jerusalem with his brothers. He came back. He came in secret, but he came halfway through the festival. And then at the precise moment of the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he stands up and makes a scene. And so what's happening here? What's happening in this, in this scene? Well, as I've told you, the Feast of Tabernacles is an eight-day celebration. And it commemorated all the wanderings when Israel dwelt in the wilderness for 40 years. And there was one particular ceremony connected with the feast that through the years had evolved into a major part of the celebration. And it combined the commands of God and His Word, but also a lot of ritual and pomp and circumstance that the Pharisees and rabbis had created over the years. And so over a couple of thousand years, this ceremony had become a great illustration, a great point uh, pointing to the salvation of God. And by Jesus' day, the ceremony went something like this. Every day for eight days, all the people would come to Jerusalem. And they would all get branches off the trees. And they would all carry these branches in a procession as they would march to the temple. And while they were doing this march, they would gather around the temple or around the temple and around the altar, and they'd all hold these branches up and create this big canopy over the, 
over the altar. And, and while they were doing that, the priest would ceremoniously go down to the pool of Siloam and he would scoop water up out of that pool and he would bring it back and he would walk through the water gate heading toward the altar. And when he came through there, the, the people would begin to sing, would begin to recite over and over again Isaiah 12, 3 that said, with joy shall he draw water from the wells of salvation. And when they recited these words, the priest would go to the altar and, and in a very ceremonious way, he would pour that water out beside the altar. And then they would all sing the Hallel. They would sing Psalm 113 through 118, praising God with song. And this was a big, big deal. And it happened every day during the feast. And then the last day of the feast, it was building to this great crescendo of the last day of the feast. Because the last day of the feast, they would do the same thing, except they would march around the altar seven times to commemorate when God delivered them in Jericho by marching around the walls seven times. God was their victory. God was their banner. And they would celebrate that. And so the whole thing would just build and build and build. And the, the, the priest with this ceremony would pour out this water. And this was all done to commemorate the, the wanderings in the wilderness. And when they were in dire need of water. You remember on two different occasions they were thirsty. And, and God had given them water right out of the rock. Solid rock water began to pour out and quench their thirst. And so it was to commemorate how God took care of them and how God gave them victory over their enemies. And the ritual celebrated God being their very survival, their very provision, their very life. So with this celebration, they were saying, God, you are life. This was huge. It was a big deal. It was against that backdrop that right in the middle of that last day grandiose moment, Jesus stands up and in a loud voice proclaims, and you remember that he's got a voice that can wake the dead. Amen? Amen. With that loud voice, he proclaims, if you're thirsty, I am the living water. This is all about me. Come to me. And instead of drinking water that's pouring out of a rock, Come drink from me, the living water, and you yourself will become a rock that water will pour out of. That's what he was saying. And just to make sure we understand, John gives us commentary in verse 39. He says, now this was said about the Spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus had not been glorified. Oh, what timing. Jesus is in charge. Oh, what a teacher. Jesus knew what to say and how to say it, and these people understood what he was saying. Oh, the one that we're looking for. He's our survival. He's our provision. Jesus is our very life. He is life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus is the one we're all looking for. All of mankind from day one has been looking for Jesus. All of us are going to have to answer that question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus took this very moment, six months before his crucifixion, right at the very height of the greatest celebration in Israel and connected it all directly to himself. And he that day answered the question, who am I? I'm your salvation. I'm your life. Water is critical for survival, right? You can't survive more than seven days probably without water. 
And these were desert people, so they knew what thirst was all about. They understood not having water. Jesus called out and said, if you're thirsty, I'm the one you're looking for. And in those words, he proclaimed the gospel. He said, Jesus offers all who are empty, dry, dying of thirst in the desert of sin and death. He says, come to the true pool of Siloam. Come to the true water pouring from the rock. Come to the, this effervescent living spring of water that flows from me. Jesus, through his death and through his burial and through his resurrection, provides life for all of us who believe. Come, drink, and be satisfied. Are you thirsty today? Are you looking for something more today? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but your relationship with Him has grown cold. Maybe there's circumstances that today in your life that are clouding your perspective of who Jesus is. Maybe you've forgotten just how special He is. Maybe you don't even know Him today. You know, we're all looking for value. We're all searching for our identity. We're all striving for purpose. We're all looking for meaning. We're all thirsting for joy and hope and peace and love and, and all of those things that He provides. Who's Jesus? He's the one you're looking for. That's who Jesus is. He's the one that will quench that thirst. He's the living water. You know, we're looking at the Gospel of John and we're asking that question, Jesus, who are you? Well, today I hope you see that Jesus is the one in charge of life. He's the one in charge of your life. I hope you see that Jesus is the teacher. He's your personal trainer. I hope you see that Jesus is the one you're looking for. Everything else in this world, possessions, power, prestige, respect, recreation, relationships, they're all just a distant shadow of the joy and the peace and the hope and the love that He provides. Jesus is the living water. And he's the one that will quench your thirst. Water that will flow out of you to a lost and dying world. Is Jesus God? Yes. Is Jesus life? Yes. You better believe he is. Right now for our Whitehall campus, I want to turn it over to Pastor Dave. You can go ahead and, and close there in Whitehall. Here in Gehenna, I want us to celebrate Jesus. I asked the worship team to sing upbeat celebration songs because we have a Savior to celebrate today. I'm going to pray and our worship team is going to come and, and our prayer warriors are going to come up front. Our prayer team's coming up front. And if you aren't sure if, if you know Jesus, please come and pray with someone. If you're cold in your relationship with Jesus, please come and pray with someone. If you have a circumstance that's causing you to recognize Jesus working in your life, come pray with someone. If you're not praying with someone, then as we sing and worship, just celebrate Jesus this morning, will you? Jesus who is in charge. Jesus who is our teacher. Jesus is the one you're looking for. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. 
We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word, Lord, how you speak that to our hearts, how you've given us the opportunity to know you personally through your death and through your burial and through your resurrection. You are our only hope. You are our only survival. You are our only provision. You are our only life. Lord, we love you today. And Jesus, I thank you for who you are. And so it's in your name I ask that all of us in this place would leave here today knowing that we know you for sure. In your name, amen. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the Word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.